Chapter 5, 65. The Whale as a Dish. That mortal man should feed upon the creature that feeds his lamp, and like Stubb, eat him by his own light, as you may say. This seems so outlandish a thing that one must needs go a little into the history and philosophy of it. It is upon record in that three centuries ago the tongue of the right whale was esteemed a great delicacy in France and commanded large prices there. Also that in Henry VIII's time a certain cook of the court obtained a handsome reward for inventing an admirable sauce to be eaten with barbecued porpoises, which you remember are a species of whale. Porpoises indeed are to this day considered fine eating. The meat is made into balls about the size of billiard balls and being well seasoned and spiced might be taken for uh, turtle balls or veal balls. The old monks of Dunfermline were very fond of them. They had great porpoise grants from the crown. The fact is that among his hunters at least, the whale would by all hands be considered a noble dish were there not so much of him. But when you come down to sit down before a meat pie nearly 100 feet long, it, it takes away your appetite. Only the most unprejudiced of men, like Stubb, nowadays partake of cooked whales. But the Eskimo are not so fastidious. We all know how they live upon whales and have rare old vintages of prime old train oil. Zogranda, one of their most famous doctors, recommends strips of blubber for infants as being exceedingly juicy and nourishing. And this reminds me of that, that certain Englishmen who long ago were uh, accidentally left in Greenland by a whaling vessel, that these men actually lived for several months on the moldy scraps of whales which had been left ashore after, after trying out the blubber. Among the Dutch whalemen, these scraps are called fritters, which indeed they are, they greatly resemble, being brown and crisp and, and smelling something like old Amsterdam housewives' donuts or oily cooks when fresh. They have such an eatable look that the most self-denying stranger can hardly keep his hands off. But what further depreciates the whale as a civilized dish is his exceeding richness. He is the great prize ox of the sea, too fat to be delicately good. Look at his hump, which would be as uh, fine eating as the buffalo's, which is esteemed a rare dish, were it not such a solid pyramid of fat. But the spermaceti itself, how bland and creamy that is, like the transparent, half-jellied white meat of a coconut in the third month of its growth. Not yet, not yet far too rich to, to supply a substitute for butter. Nevertheless, many whalemen have a method of absorbing it into some other substance and then partaking of it. In the long try watches of the night, it is a common thing for the seamen to dip their ship biscuit into the huge oil pots and, and let them fry there a while. Many a good supper have I thus made. In the case of a small sperm whale, the brains are accounted a fine dish. The casket of the skull is broken into with an axe, and the two plump whitish lobes being withdrawn, uh, precisely resembling two large puddings, they are then mixed with flour and cooked into a most delectable mess in, favor, in flavor somewhat resembling calf's head, which is quite a dish among some epicures. And everyone knows that, that some young bucks among the epicures, by continually dining upon calves' brains, by and by get to have a little brains of their own so as to be able to tell a calf's head from their own heads, which indeed requires uncommon discrimination. And that is the reason why a young buck with an intelligent-looking calf's head before him is somehow one of the saddest sights you can see. The head looks a sort of reproachfully at him uh, with, an, with an et tu brute look, expression. It is not perhaps entirely because the whale is so excessively unctuous 
that landsmen seem to regard the eating of him with abhorrence. That appears to result some way from the consideration before mentioned, i.e., that a, that a man should eat a newly murdered thing of the sea and eat it too by its own light. But, no doubt, the first man that ever murdered an ox was regarded as a murderer. Perhaps he was hung. And if he'd been put on his trial by oxen, he certainly would have been. And, if he, and he certainly deserved it, if any murderer does. Go to the meat market of a Saturday night. See the crowds of live bipeds staring up at the long rows of dead quadrupeds. Does not that sight take a tooth out of the cannibal's jaw? Cannibals? Who is not a cannibal? I tell you, it'd be more tolerable for the Fiji that salted down a lean missionary in his cellar against a coming famine. It'll be more tolerable for that, that provident Fiji, I say, in the Day of Judgment than for thee, civilized and enlightened gourmand, who nailest geese to the ground and feastest on their bloated livers in thy pâté de foie gras. But Stubb, he eats the whale by its own light, does he? And that is adding insult to injury, is it? Look at your knife handle there, my, my civilized and enlightened gourmand, dining off that roast beef. What's that handle made of? What but the bones of the brother of the very ox you're eating? And what do you pick your teeth with after devouring that fat goose? With a feather of the same fowl. And with what quill did the secretary of the Society for the Suppression of Cruelty to Ganders formally indict his circulars? Well, it's only within the last month or two that that society passed a resolution to patronize nothing but steel pens. <laughs>